Hello, everyone. This is Kevin Jennings with the Mentor Team and a co-host of this podcast, Executive Minds. And before you listen, I wanted to let you know that this is actually a replay of an episode we put out last year. And as the team knew this summer, we wanted to uh, take a short break uh, to get some new episodes in. We also spend time with our family. Uh, we wanted to put together a few episodes we thought would be really great for you to hear again uh, and to also welcome some of our newer listeners to kind of get them introduced to the archive we have here. And so we hope you enjoy today's replay of the Executive Minds podcast. Uh, subscribe because we have new episodes on the way. Enjoy. Welcome to the Executive Minds Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. Hey, everybody, this is Kevin Jennings, and welcome to episode 151 of the Executive Minds Podcast. Now, for our long term listeners, you probably know this as the Launch University Podcast. Um, as recently as just one week ago, but we are now the Executive Minds Podcast. And what's changed about our podcast? Not too much, just more of us dialing it in and recognizing over the last two plus years of us having an opportunity to serve you on this podcast, we've heard one thing resounding very loudly, and that is we are here to mentor you. We say, well, Kevin, how do you know that? How do you know I'm you're here to mentor me? Well, some of you emailed us. You'd say, hey, can such and such mentor me? Or do you have a mentor you can connect me with? Or, hey, uh, how do you find a great mentor? That was actually one of the very first questions that we got asked. And we thought our role was going to be focused on helping you turn your good ideas into reality. And that's still a part of what we hope happens for you through our time together. But we recognize our real focus is helping you turn your potential into high performance so that you can grow your career. Now, we recognize that your ambition, the thing you want to do with your life, with your professional life, with your personal life, it will lead to greater impact. Most of us don't just long to make more money. We long to use that money to make a difference in the lives of our family and, uh, and in the lives of our community and maybe even the world. And so we look at ambition as something that's really more of a raw material. It can be used and channeled however we choose to do it. And we hope through this conversation and through many more to come, you recognize that your ambition can lead to a greater impact. So now that you're here, on the Executive Minds podcast. I am excited today because this is an interview that Shane and David recorded a long time ago. By long, I mean at least two or three months ago. And we knew this interview was special. As soon as it was done, we knew it was special. We said, you know what? We were in the middle of this process of moving away from our previous brand as Launch University and becoming Mentor, who we are today. And you can go to wearementor.co for information. And we knew this podcast was going to shift toward how we help you steward and grow your career and maybe even lead an organization. And so from there, we said, okay, if that's going to be the focus, let's hold this interview because we feel this is the perfect conversation to kick off where we are now with Executive Minds. And in today's episode, you're going to hear from Dan Cathy, the chairman of Chick-fil-A. And Dan is the son of Truett Cathy, the founder of the organization. And he obviously has the privilege of leading that great company, but also 
you know, leading David and Shane, uh, two leaders. We, I, well, we hopefully, but I know I um, have grown so much from working with. And in this conversation, at least part one of it, you're going to have the opportunity to hear some incredible stories from Dan about the beginning of Chick-fil-A and what really happened to sow the seeds for the organization that so many of us benefit from every day, whether it be through our interactions in a, in a drive through line or us seeing that smiling face tell us, my pleasure. You're going to hear some of those stories that really help shape a company decades ago that make it what it is today. And I think for any of us who want to grow something, create something, I think it's easy for us to say, well, one day when, one day when, and we keep projecting on the future, this outcome of how things will be different once we have certain resources, certain capabilities. But to me, this episode is going to remind you about just how important the beginning is. Uh, you know, uh, one thing Jeff often cites from the Bible is do not despise the days of humble beginnings. And I think this episode is one of those days going to make you excited about the beginning of your career, of your business, wherever you are. All right. So I'm not going to hold you. I'm going to let you jump right into now David and Shane's interview with Dan Cathy. This is one of those days where you just like get excited to get out of bed because we get to do this interview with one of my favorite people, and that's Mr. Dan Cathy. Dan, thank you for being here today. My pleasure, as we like to say at Chick-fil-A. Absolutely. And we've got with me as well, David Farmer, co-host, and going to add some color commentary today. So, David, thanks for being here as hey, well. Shane. Yeah, thank you. So this, like I said, you know, kind of getting up in the morning and getting started with an interview with Dan Cathy is really, really special near and dear to my heart and David's because we've had the pleasure of watching you lead what arguably is one of the most significant organizations that I've been a part of um, across the U.S. and eventually the world. And we're going into Canada later on this year, so we're excited about that. But it really has been a pleasure to watch you, Dan, lead. And since your very beginning, I mean, your dad founded this organization called Chick-fil-A, and you've been a part of it ever since you kind of came into the family business. And so you've got two boys, you're married to Rhonda, you've got grandkids. But one of the things that I have always enjoyed about you is your passion for continually learning and growing. I think you have this combination of an insatiable desire to grow and learn combined with a humility to serve. And uh, we want to talk specifically about some of the journey that you've been on, and we'll just kind of jump in. But I want to say first, thanks so much for making some time today. Really appreciate it. Well, it's fun. You know, we, we're all called to be good stewards of what God's entrusted to us. And our lives are something all of us need to be conscious that we have opportunity to influence people. We can save them from some of the mistakes that we've made. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also can uh, celebrate some of the uh, good things that happen so that we can encourage people to make and affirm them to make more positive life choices. I, I think God wants all of us to be uh, successful in our journey of life, in our relationship with Him, in our relationship with others, and even in our relationship as in society and culture, either through the marketplace or local communities. So God wants us to be a winner. So a lot of good scripture to back that up too. 
So you got started with your dad in the business back when you were in your teens. I mean, you helped him on the road, actually. I, I can remember stories about dressing up in dwarf costumes and uh, all kinds of uh, singing songs in restaurants and doing all kinds of things with your dad. But he also got you very involved in the business very early on. What were, as you think back, what were some of the lessons that you learned from your dad around entrepreneurship? Yep. As you know, uh, back in the day before we had checks and the Chick-fil-A One app and all these other Apple Pay and all that kind of stuff, it was all cash. And uh, maybe some of our listeners aren't familiar with the fact that the U.S. Treasury Department produces these little pieces of paper called Federal Reserve notes that can be used. We just don't want you to use them in the drive-thru because it goes a lot faster if you'll just use the Chick-fil-A one out. So. Yeah, but back in the day, that's all we had was, of course, cash. And it wasn't just paper currency, but coin currency as well. And a hamburger at Chick-fil-A, which well, a hamburger at the Dwarf House before we had Chick-fil-A was 15 cents and coffee was a nickel. And so one of my earliest memories was this, you just picture this now, my, mom, and my mom's little, uh, their little bedroom, dad would dump out, out of the, the dwarf house sacks, sacks of cash, sacks of change. And he would literally dump that out in his bed. And on Saturday mornings, Bubba and I would sit there and we, our job was to count out all the bills. We couldn't count very well, but we could get all the Washington faces going in the same direction <laughs> and other piles of Lincoln faces, you know, going in the same direction and so forth. And so we'd separate the ones and the fives and the tens and the twenties. And then dad would count them out and he'd put a strap around them. So, and then he'd go to the bank on Monday morning with all this money counted out. But just the whole scene of all that cash sitting out on the bed. Now I'm four, five, six, seven years old have my buddies maybe coming over for the weekend. They'd have carbon copies of bread invoices and milk invoices. And I, I thought it was pretty cool. I remember putting those on a clipboard and hanging them on my wall uh, in my in my bedroom that Bubba and I shared together. And I just thought that was really cool because I looked like a businessman, you know, with all that <laughs> invoices, even though there were carbon copies that were there. But, you know, I look back on it and just growing up in the ambiance, the, the atmosphere of a business-oriented kind of environment where we're talking about cash, we're talking about making deposits, we're talking about customers, we're talking about issues that are going on at that little family restaurant. And, you know, I'll never be able to fully unpack all the influence of those those family relationships all within, around this environment. And, and other professions have that kind of thing going on as well. You, you think about many families that grow up in a, in a legal environment or a, a medical environment. Or maybe their their moms and dads are elected public officials, and they see the ambiance of that whole interplay of the family with the profession, with the marketplace. And so we just can't discount the experiences that we have growing up as children and the parents that we were born into, the lives that they lived, the choices that they made, and how dramatic impact that impact is on the rest of your life. You look back on it and say, man, that's incredible how God was preparing me for the kind of roles that we have today. I love how your dad uh, pulled the whole family into the business, though. I mean, you couldn't separate family life from business life in your home. Yeah, I remember him literally, David, sharing with us problems that he had going on. And here I am, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and I had to listen up. I mean, I had to sit up in my chair to understand and listen to what he was sharing because I knew he was sharing real problems with us. And he was asking us, I, I just want to share my problems with you. Uh, not as if he was going to get an answer out of a nine or 10 year old. 
necessarily, but the fact that he had the heart that he wanted to share with us and that, that he thought so much of us to share the real problems that he was dealing with. And oftentimes those little family uh, sharing sessions would end most of the time in prayer. And mm. dad said years later, what it meant to him as a father to hear his seven, eight, nine, ten year old on their knees, you know, praying for their dad for for uh, answers to problems that he was facing and what an encouragement that was to him. And I hope that all our parents that may be listening to this program could be more intentional of trusting and letting your children aspire to live up to being worthy of listening to those kind of adult conversations. And that's how we pass on generational principles from one generation to the next. Yeah, there's something to be said for even if if you just allow the kids to come along for the ride sometime, they're going to soak it up. Well, I think it's interesting, too. We hear a lot of entrepreneurs say, you know, oftentimes they feel like they're on an island. They're by themselves. No one else is experiencing what they're experiencing, some of the challenges. And what your dad was able to do is actually take that and leverage the most important unit around him, which is his family, to kind of share some of those things. So he didn't feel like he was always by himself. And to your point, it actually meant a lot to him when he saw his kids actually yeah. praying for some of the challenges that he may have felt like he was handling by himself or all alone, when in re- reality, he was able to share that. Yeah. I remember back in our former office building that we had, 801 Virginia Avenue, 34, 35 years ago, sitting across the table, uh, interview with a young man who grew up, whose father was an attorney, and he wanted to work at Chick-fil-A. And I said, well, why don't you work with your dad? And he shook his head defiantly and said, I'd have no interest whatsoever working with my father. I said, really? I said, why is that? He said, well, my my mom and my dad went through a divorce. My dad was so involved in his profession that he never got involved in any of our baseball games or sports activities or anything. He says, I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of profession that would not help that would be in such conflict with my roles as a husband and as a father. And so, you know, it was not just sharing business problems, but he was in our life as well. Yeah. It had such a huge impact. I can, uh, I I don't think I can ever remember a wrestling match that my brother and I were involved in high school where my mom and dad were not there. And oftentimes Mm. they may be the only parents that were sitting there on three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, way up in North Atlanta, wherever it might be. And I never, I, I aspired to want to be that kind of dad for my two sons, but they were involved in too much stuff. And the wrestling season was much longer, but I was there for most of the events. But it's not just the kids being there for their parents, but it's also the parents being there for the kids as well. And that cre- creates those kind of bonds that, you know, overcome all the challenges that we face in life. Dan, you know, we're, I think, in many ways, I don't care what kind of business you're in, ultimately it's in service of a customer, whether that's business to business or business to customer. And you learned so many incredible lessons from your dad. Maybe share with us a couple lessons that you learned around taking care of the customer that yeah. you. Well, as you know, at the Harvard Business School, they have a real fancy expression that you pay a lot of tuition to get these pithy little statements, but they said external service quality is a reflection of internal service quality. So as we talk about taking care of the customer, really we have to start by thinking, you know, what's the, what's resonating out of that kitchen that's going to spill into that dining room? What's the relationship that you have with people? One of the, um, 
most memorable experiences as a, as a young teenager was climbing up under the roof of our dwarf house. And the original dwarf house restaurant is still open 24 hours a day, six days a week. And as a teenager, 14, 15 years old, I climbed up on the roof. My dad suspected he had a problem. And sure enough, when we got to the roof, we saw a bunch of Carling Black Label beer cans all littered around on top of the roof. And dad suspected that had gotten word that Charlie Sealock, our night manager, was the gentleman responsible for heaving those empty beer cans up on the roof, you know, during midnight shift, uh, overnight hours. And I remember, oh, you know, being so heartbroken and disappointed in Charlie Sealock. He was a, you know, if all the staff there, they're like aunts and uncles to me. They would pass me around as an infant, like a little football. Some people argued that they must have dropped me to explain some <laughs> behavioral characteristics I have. But, you know, that trusting relationship, you know, that you grow up when somebody's passing you around like that and you can't save yourself. You just, you're totally dependent on learning how to trust people. And I knew Charlie Sealock and I knew he had issues in life and so forth that were going on. And, but yet when we saw those beer cans, I just knew that Charlie Sealock, he was going to you know, be out the door and walking down the street and, you know, drinking on the job is certainly would be a terminal uh, experience for most people. But to see my dad work through that with Charlie, I remember asking him some week or so later, what happened to Charlie Sealock? And dad said, well, we got him involved in Alcoholics Anonymous program. And uh, we think we're going to see maybe a turnaround. I'm hoping he may not make it, but I hope he's going to make it. He ended up retiring after 28 years working at the Dwarf House, most of those years as the night manager. And to see my dad, one, work through a forgiveness with also with compassion to get him into a program that could turn him around rather than just hitting him out the door. And I think about all the books of leadership. I think about Jack Welch, the remarkable you know, leader of the century as he was acclaimed to be, probably would never have a chapter in his book on compassion. Mm -hmm. And what's the role that forgiveness has in dealing with interpersonal relationships? So Shane, to your point, the magic in the, in the dining room is a reflection of the magic that happens in that kitchen. Mm -hmm. And all of us being mindful that once we've been forgiven as leaders, if you ever have that experience of knowing that you've been forgiven and that really resonates deep inside you, I think that's the launching point for a more compassionate attitude toward the people that we have to work with. Who They also have issues as well. But when we get those through those issues of those individuals that have a lot of life challenges going on, there's a degree of loyalty that's unbelievable. And as I said, Charlie left us after or retired after 28 years. But it's also the message of how that ripples to other employees in that business who see how dad dealt with Charlie, that they may have an issue that may happen. And they have hopes that maybe, you know, Mr. Truett will be as compassionate with me as they were with Mr. Truett. That sets up an entirely different attitude and relationship, interpersonal relationship that um, is magnetic you know it just draws people to want bam but you know if, if i mess up we all know that we have fleet of clay we all know ourselves and know how how uh, all of us have some element of dysfunctionality but as leaders if we can learn how to help people live through those issues to get to the other side then as i said there's a loyalty that that um, has a huge impact 
not only on the staff, but then the customers feel that kind of atmosphere. Well, it's interesting too, because, you know, knowing your dad and having the pleasure of at least getting to spend a little bit of time with him, he wasn't a pushover either. I mean, there was a, there was a balance there, right? Around relationships and results and grace, uh, but also high expectations. And, and, um, there was a draw, there was a line in the sand. (laughs) If you stepped over it, you'd be, you could be out the door. I I got some of those stories. It's a good (laughs) lesson for leaders too, that, to lead with both compassion and then also uh, expectations around excellence, like doing the job that you were called and paid to do, but at the same time, ex- you know, extending grace when necessary and needed. And to pick up on that, I think another characteristic that we saw in Truett that has um, it's become part of, I think, the culture of Chick-fil-A, he was um, a really wise steward frugal at times when he had to be out of necessity, but at the same time, incredibly generous. Mm -hmm. And so you see what appears to be a real contradiction, but when it comes together, it creates a very unique, but very attractive personality. And then that translates into an organizational culture as well. And I know you feel like you've had to sort of take that baton and continue to, to, to carry the baton to make sure we don't lose that culture mm-hmm. as we grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's been a lot of growth lately. And you, you, you even talk about, we got we to grow a small company. We don't want to lose that, which makes us special. Yeah. There was a wonderful element of dad's personality of generosity that was fantastic to see. Uh, as I began to work there as a teenager, uh, a number of people would pull me to the side back in the kitchen and tell me something special that my dad had done for them. Uh, we've captured some of those stories. You know, the story of Eddie White, who was yeah. a young man in the kitchen, and he was going off to college and didn't have the clothes that he needed. And so dad um, uh, called ahead downtown Atlanta and made sure he got the clothes that he needed, including his underwear that he needed to, yeah. to have. The most beautiful kind of underwear I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I think it's, he was a, funny, to it's say. a funny story, yeah. but... But there's these elements of generosity. I, uh, one day we put, uh, Dad was giving away some food to families in our neighborhood, and he put a lemon pie on top of our little white family station wagon. We pulled down on I-75 going south, and by the time that pie sitting on the roof of that Chevrolet station wagon, time we got up to 40, 50 miles an hour, that meringue started levitating off that off that pie over the down the top of our roof. But um, and somebody told us, honked the horn and said, we need to pull off. And sure enough, Dad got a big kick out of the fact he left that pie up there. But he was on his way to to give food away. And this idea of of generosity as as business people, even accountants, if we could have that contrasting element of frugality, David, as you're mentioning, and we can balance generosity as we're careful about stewarding, it opens up more opportunities where we can be a sustainable way of being able to generous and being gracious toward other people. And it starts this huge flywheel, you know, spinning. And at Chick-fil-A, that flywheel has just gotten bigger and bigger over time. Well, I have actually encountered several people who years ago were on the receiving end of Truett bringing food. In fact, one of them is Peyton Day, who's been a guest on the podcast. His father uh, launched the Days Inn hotel chain. And Peyton, Cecil Day. Yep. And uh, he'll tell the story when he was a kid playing football in the yard and his father's health failed and your dad went up to see him. And he talks about how he pulled up, 
chatted with the kids and then went to station wagon, unloaded all this food that he brought into the house. And I've seen a number of people who have shared a similar story. And, um, so it, it is a remarkable example. Um, your uh, nephew, Mark was sharing with me one time that, uh, your dad used to just carry a list around in his pocket that had names and, and people that just needed something. And I think that's something we could all learn from because there may be this there may be this thought that he didn't do that until after he had begun to become really successful and had the means to do it but i think what's true is he has all, he always did that yeah and interesting david that dad didn't have a good example from his dad yeah uh, his dad was not that way he didn't help him on his newspaper routes he didn't stage up newspapers at different intersections as some of the other dads did to uh, to help up the boys uh, he didn't have a good example of that. So the the message here is that the pendulum can swing. We do not have to be a victim of the parenting examples, good or bad, in our life. We all have to take responsibility for our day, our generation of how we want that to be. So um, let's don't let's don't make excuses for ourselves that we didn't have a good example. Uh, oftentimes, you know, when we don't have a good example, we can learn from that as well. Yeah. So that we don't have to repeat past failures. Well, Dan, I want to make sure we don't lose the opportunity to, to share the story uh, and the history behind my pleasure. Um, I think that was uh, really a defining moment for not only Chick-fil-A, but for the hospitality industry, period. And it came from a passion that your dad had. And I'd love for you to just share the elements of that story because it's a great reminder to leaders of how long oftentimes you have to carry the mantle of the vision ahead of everybody else. And you may be so far ahead that you got to repeat it and repeat it. But I think it's a really good example. So would you mind sharing that story? Well, we've always looked for things that would distinguish Chick-fil-A, whether it be the pickles on the sandwich or being closed on Sunday and some other elements. And somehow he must have got a discount ticket or rate or something to a Ritz-Carlton Hotel because <laughs> I'm sure he didn't pay the regular rack rate on a room at a Ritz-Carlton. But he was enamored with this expression, my pleasure, uh, that he'd heard at a Ritz-Carlton Hotel and began to think, well, this would be really a distinguishing element to have teenagers. Some people might even describe them as a heathen, barbaric teenagers to have, to say such a civilized expression. If customer says, thank you, we'd say my pleasure. And as you know, he, he introduced this at our Chick-fil-A operator seminars, we'd call it, which is a big gathering of all our Chick-fil-A operators and their spouses, along with our corporate staff and their spouses, big, big gathering that continued to grow over the years. And he'd start off his his uh, seminar speech, you'd say, okay, everybody, everybody stand up. We're going to practice this together. If a customer says, thank you, how do we respond? Everybody would say together, my, my pleasure. pleasure. Exactly. And then he did it the next year. And, and it then was the next so year. awkward, Dan. Yeah, it <laughs> you felt, didn't it? It was just, it just didn't feel like it didn't fit at all. It felt very awkward to me. By the time he said it, the third, second or third time he said it, and drilled us all on it. And he would, by roads, you know, and we had all repeat after him. I began to get the idea, he must be really serious about this. <laughs> I mean, really, not, I didn't take it on. I didn't embrace it. And what was, was your skeptic. role back then? Do you remember? I was head of operations. Head of operations. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I should have been the one really taking notes, but uh, but I didn't. And But I got this point that he was really emphatic and he was going to We went back and we pulled tape from all those seminar speeches that he did. And we were able to capture for 10 consecutive years, he would drill us on, if a customer says thank you, how we respond, 
my pleasure. And I think it makes the point that as a leader, uh, sometimes you have to accept the fact that there will be skeptics. Your own family members may be a skeptic mm. and may not believe in it to begin with. But um, if you feel really, really inspired, that that's really what the direction that you go in. Be emphatic, be tenacious, and stick with it. But out now, as you know, we have 150,000 plus people that have customers says thank you. I think we're at about a 75 or 80 percent chance that they will respond, "My pleasure," and it's become a signature verse for well. And expression. the lesson to me in this and. What I love about that story is here you were learning how to cast vision and how to carry that vision to fruition and the patience that it sometimes requires to get there. And as I look back on your history with Chick-fil-A, you've done some pretty pronounced introductions of some standards, some way of thinking to Chick-fil-A. And you've had to do the same exact thing as I think about our mantra around providing second mile service to guests. That is something that you carried the torch and the vision for multiple years, trying to get us to adopt this culture of not just going the first mile in service, but going the second mile, looking for additional ways to surprise and delight guests. And you went as far as to bring in, you know, people to teach us how to, how to greet people to table, how to refresh beverages, how to take trays and help and assist guests. And those kind of things. It took you a long time to do that. You did the same thing with Chick-fil-A One and the entrance of our brand into the digital age and how to speed that up. You talked about pole vaulting the competition. You did that as well as I think back early in the 90s, you talked about being a team of teams, being building teams and having a team concept when it comes to leadership. So I look at your track record and it's fascinating the lessons that you picked up from your dad. But you, I think it's really important for leaders to hear that you've got to carry this toward this vision and be patient in doing that. How have you done that? Because I would imagine in this organization, sometimes it would be nice to just go, hey, why don't we do this? And everybody goes, yeah, let's go do it. But what, it doesn't always work. That it doesn't way. always work that way. Yeah. Say more about that. Like how, yeah. how, what, what advice would you give to a listener about making sure that they keep beating the drum of something they're passionate about? Yeah. Well, related to our, our opening conversation about family, uh, what comes to mind is this wonderful definition about what, what is a child? What, what, who are children? How would you define that? And I think it was Dennis Smalley that with Family Life who said that children are messengers we send to a time we will not see. So as parents, we think about the what's the message of our life? What's going to go on beyond our own lifetime? What's our legacy going to be? And if um, as parents, if we could kind of keep that idea in mind that our children become an extension of our life, they're going to, in all likelihood, they'll outlive our own lives. And if that's true, and we as children can look at our parents and think, you know, what are the observations that we can see about our parents' life that, you know, we, if we could have enough uh, humility to learn from our parents, uh, be it also the courage to, to grasp and really learn those truths and principles that we can carry on to the next generation. I, I love an expression by Andy Stanley, who's pastors a small country church here in Atlanta, who said that we need to marry the mission and date the methods. Mm -hmm. And when we think about multi-generational family businesses, that idea of change and being a proponent of change and evolution really relates to how society continues to evolve over time. But the principles have to be caught and taught and infected 
that are timeless and probably about you know, maybe five or 10% of it is principles that are timeless, but the other 90% are methods that need to evolve and change all the mm-hmm. time. So effective leaders today are very conscious. What are the timeless principles? We call it the founder's mentality. What are the, what are the elements about the founder's mentality that are timeless that we have to grasp and have a good, get those principles really deep seated. But then we have this interface of methods that continually take these timeless proofs and principles, and we can apply those across the business. So it, differentiating ourselves on service was a real strategic transition point for us. We knew that we were never going to be uh, as big as some of the other big brands that were out there. We, we weren't going to be a discounter. How could we distinguish ourselves? Uh, and we said, well, you know, nobody really leverages the, the people function like we thought that we could. We were so enamored by the tremendous restaurant operators that we had and outstanding team members that, that they attracted. How can we leverage this as a strategic, unique asset uh, to make our business unique? And so that second mile pleasure idea, the, the second mile service comes out of a scripture verse, Shane, that says that um, Matthew chapter five, verse 41, Jesus said, if someone asked you to go one mile, go within the second mile. So when we think about our corporate purpose at Chick-fil-A, which is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all that come in contact with Chick-fil-A, it was a perfect opportunity to give God credit for this principle that we should always seek to go beyond the first 5,280 feet mm. in any relationship. If we are willing to go beyond just what people expect and begin to incorporate behavioral principles that they don't expect, it'll always be a game changer. It'll be a game changer in marriage. It'll be a game changer in parenting. And it can be a game changer in the marketplace as well. Well, that concludes part one of David and Shane's interview with Dan Cathy of Chick-fil-A. I loved this conversation so much. I took a lot of notes. And one of the things that just jumped out at me was really, first of all, this concept of how to be patient and persevere. I I think I was expecting him to give me a very different answer to that question because I was eagerly excited to hear that answer because I transparently often struggle with patience. Um, My personality type is wired where everything feels urgent. When I have a good idea, I'm ready to go do the new idea right now and drop whatever I'm doing to get it done. And that's not realistic. Um, It's not realistic in any part of your life. Patience is required. And, And I know that logically, right? But it's still a challenge. And then for Dan to say, Well, the real answer in how we're going to be patient and persevere is shifting our perspective to think about the future, right? This idea that he said, you know what? When it even comes to our children, they are messengers we send to a time we will not see, right? So what are we doing today and what is the impact in the future, um, I know there's a, 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 a quote from Gladiator, right, about what we do. Um, I think it's something about what we do today and how it echoes in eternity, right? I, I can't remember the quote off the top of my head. But I think the key thing is like, that is so true, right? When in, in the light of the future, it's very different because I don't feel like my results all have to be seen by me, 
right? And so there's a shift in our perspective that happens there. And I love this last piece that just stood to me, really, this idea of saying, it's our job, that quote that Dan shared from Andy Stanley, about marrying the mission and dating the methods. Uh, That, to me, was also very huge, right? What, as the leader of my life, right? For myself, what is my personal mission? And then what's the mission of my organization? And can, and what can I do to become as married to that, as permanent and committed to that as I can be? And then say, and whatever it takes from the methodology to make that happen, it's up for discussion, right? So I love that so much. And so I want you today, first of all, hopefully say, first of all, say thank you for listening. And second, I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast. I hope that something inside of you today says, okay, they're making a shift. They are now 100% locked in on my long-term success because we are. We are, yes, we want you to launch a new idea. We hope it changes the world because we recognize you can go from a go-getter to a difference maker. But that goes far beyond your current project, your current initiative, your current job, your current business. We believe your potential echoes in eternity. It echoes throughout history that something you're doing right now is going to make a difference for somebody after you. Maybe you'll never meet them. And so for us, investing in your potential is what this podcast is all about. I hope you'll see it that way. I hope you'll recognize we are only in it for you. So with that being said, please subscribe to this podcast. You can get show notes of today's episode if you go to executiveminds.co. So executiveminds.co take you straight to our show notes page and you can click on episode 151 and just check out this whole thing again, share with a friend, make it really easy for you. Also subscribe, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Radio, tune in wherever you enjoy your podcast. We're working to make sure it's available there. All right, and lastly, Tune in next week, episode 152 with Dan Cathy. And in this conversation, they're going to be talking about a lot of things. And some of them is about how you can explore. I mean, how you can use exploration and frustration to stay sharp, keep growing and make a difference, right? And and so I don't want you to miss this episode because it actually talks about Dan's life outside of Chick-fil-A and some of the amazing things he's doing there. And I think that is equally fascinating. We kind of just spent today talking about the past and, and learning lessons from, from that. And now we're talking about Dan's future and how he's learned a lot in the present uh, from what he's been doing outside of Chick-fil-A. It's a really interesting conversation that I know you're going to enjoy. All right. So take care. And we look forward to having you join us next time on the Executive Minds Podcast.